Uh, we're beginning with God's gracious reasons, and we're beginning with verse 8 of chapter 20, Exodus 20, verse 8. And it says this plainly in seven English words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The people were to remember. And remembering is not just cognitive. Notice the two highlighted words there, remember to keep. Remember is a Hebrew word to call to mind, to recollect. And it's the idea of reflection that leads to action. And so the people of Israel, and I would say thus, those of us today were to stop, look back, think, and act. The term Sabbath literally means to rest. And this is not a rest in the absence of effort. This is the rest in a redirection of our energies towards other things that are important. If you keep scrolling through, Ben, you'll see the highlight on the word Sabbath. And then finally, the people were to keep the Sabbath holy. The term holy here means to be set apart. It always means to be set apart, given towards special treatment. It's the exact same word used when God created the world in Genesis 2-3. It is the same word that was read earlier in Deuteronomy 5-12. Thus the people of Israel were to see this day as different from other days. It's defined by God. It's not a day of absence of rest, but effort towards something else. Moses went on to write in verse 9 and 10, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. They were to see that life is more than just work. Work is a part of creation. It is pre-fall and it is good by God's design, but God also designed rest. And it is also a part of God's design for all humans. And they were to be witnesses to not only uh, their family, but to those who work for them. Hey, you get the day off. Why do we get the day off? Because this is how God designed life. I just think of the illustration that comes to mind. Um, we don't have any here in the valley. We should, for you entrepreneur types, get a Chick-fil-A in the valley. Um, that would be a good work, solid work, Christian owners. And one of the reasons why we love that place is when we go, I remember we were driving once, we're like, hey, we'll hit Chick-fil-A. And then I remembered, no, it's Sunday. They don't work on Sunday. And God honors that, and that's a good thing. Um, right now we're going through and compass how to preach. This is what you don't do, gentlemen. You don't do a sermon within a sermon, but I'm going to do it. A uh, little one on work. See, we've come to realize that work, um, for some of us, has become an idol. Verse 11, it says this, For six days the Lord made heaven and earth. This is the reason why he gave the Sabbath. The sea and all that is in them, and the Lord rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God, here's the key, in his infinite wisdom, in his creation, made our weeks to be rhythmic. Work, rest, work, rest. And it reflects the character of God who worked for six days and it rested. If I were to go back and show you the pattern of Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4, you would be blown away at the beauty of creation, not only in the world that we see, but literarily, as he said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There it is, the summary statement. This is what defines life for humans as we know it. And then the earth was formless and void. That is, it was without form and it had no filling. And so day one, he formed with light, with his words. Day two, water, the waters above from the waters below. And day three, land, that is the forming of the world. And then day four, it's he filled, he formed the light here. Day four, he filled it with stars, moon. Day five, but the water here, he filled it with birds in the air, fish in the sea. And day six, he filled the land with plants and animals. And on the seventh day, he rested. It's beautiful. Now, God didn't rest from his work because he was tired. It's like, oh, man, all that effort. Let there be light. And he gets to like, let, let, let us make man in our image. Woo. 
I'm just, I'm exhausted. That's not what that word means. Therefore, the Lord blessed the day and made it holy when he talks about rest in Genesis 2. He's talking about he is satisfied. It is complete. But what has happened is we have perverted God's work and rest uh, rhythms. And we've made something out of work that it shouldn't be. Listen to this. Madonna. You know who Madonna is, right? Every time I accomplish something, I feel like a special human being. But after a little while, I feel mediocre, uninteresting again. I find that I have to get myself past this again and again. My drive in life is for this horrible fear of being mediocre. I have to prove I'm somebody. That's what Madonna thinks about her work. When she works, she's somebody. I don't hear in there, I've been created in the image of God, and the reason I am who I am is because God created me and designed me exactly who he wants me to be. And then from that great uh, theological classic, Rocky, who am I kidding? And I'm not even going to try to do the accent. I ain't even this guy's league. (laughs) It it don't matter. I am going to read it just like it sits. So this is not my English. This is Sylvester's. I don't, it don't matter because I was a nobody before. I was nobody. That don't matter either, you know. I don't really matter. If I, it don't really matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if the guy opened up my head because all I want to do is go the distance. No one's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go the distance, you see, and that bell rings, you know, I'm still standing. I'm going to know for the first time in my life, you see, that I, weren't ju- that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. And so you, th- you say, well, that's just a movie. No, but that's what a lot of people believe is that they've got to go and do something for their identity, for to the world to see just how important they are. And there is so much theologically wrong with that. But I don't have time to talk on that today. I just want to give you a few stats. There are 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks in a year. That's 8.73 hours, uh, excuse me, that's assuming a 40-hour work week, that's 2,080 hours a year at work, 24% of your time. Assuming eight hours of sleep, that's 2,912 asleep, that's 33% of the time. So if you combine those, you 57% of the time we're at work or we're asleep. And we've come to make these weird views of work. Here's what, here's what we say, and we just say it. Sometimes we say things without even knowing why we say it. We just we heard it. It sounded cute. We, a mother's work is never done. A- amen. Neither is a father's. Neither is a father's. Actually, we're humans, and so you could even say a human's work is never done. Should be. Uh, people who, who call, going along that phrase, down that liberal feminist movements but and i've quit and i quote this stay-at-home moms are homebodies and underachievers wow i just think that's awkward and wrong for someone to say that because they've never tried it uh, the french they said you know what this whole seven-day work week we're going to do something different we're going to try an eight-day work week how'd that do in the french revolution it failed The Russians said, no problem, we'll try 10 days. See, you just didn't go far enough. Failed. And and we've perverted God's design. We we work at play and we play at work. Here's a definition of work by Tim Keller. It's the gracious expression of creative activity in the service of others. Gracious. Work is a gift God gave it uh, for us to do. Of creative activity. Think about it. You look around at all the creativity in the world. It is amazing to me. And I've often said this from this pulpit. When I start to listen about to just pick pick any industry and then you listen to the detail within that industry, it just blows me away at how people can earn money doing. We, We employ lots of people doing lots of different things, and that is the ingenuity and the creative activity of work, and it's good, and it's in service others but we we often misconstrue work we make work something that it shouldn't be we have because it's a lot of a lot of where we spend our time 
And, and for good reason, people have tried to say, well, your vocation, your work is your mission field. And, and I think you should witness to Jesus. But I think we've made our work, we've, we've kind of lifted work up as if work, what we do, defines us. And so we spend an awful lot of time there. Whatever happened to, think about this, saying, you know what, I'm going to go find a job where I can work from 8 to 5, where I can make enough money to support my family, and I'm going to give it my best, and I'm not going to try to achieve the top rung. I just, I, mean, I see the awkward looks in your face. That is very un-American. I can't believe you would just speak something like that. Think about it. I, I was there. I was there, and if I'm not careful, I can be there here. But I was there. I went to school. I was a junior at SMU in the great nation of Texas. And I said to myself, what am I going to do? I called my father, and I said desperately, I don't, I think I know what I want to do. I'm going down this track of being a businessman. He said, get your accounting degree because the world is always going to need accountants. <laughs> We've got a several in here. They're all not. The world's going to need us. The world needs us. We are bean counters. And the idea, and so I went and got an accounting degree. I didn't really want to do accounting, but I went and got it. But all of a sudden, I'm walking down this road of being an accountant. And so if I'm going to be an accountant, what was going through my mind was not, I'm just going to get a good job. I'm going to get married. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to live for the Lord. And this is going to be what puts food on the table. I was going to go work for the best accounting firm in the world, bar none. And I was going to go to work every day because in 13 years, I was going to go from a staff. That's where you make copies. Have you ever seen me make copies? I am one of the world's best copiers. It, it's the copy man on Saturday Night Live. They got it from me. I, there's not a copier that scares me. I walk into Bill. I'm like, I'll make the copies. No big deal. That's all I did for three years is go make copies, go make copies, and then counting cash. You tell me a count of cash, those dollar bills are going to be organized, and, and, and I'll, I can count them quick. Mickey should hire me as a teller. But then it was, then I'm putting together these forms, and in 13, I'm going to go from a staff to a senior, then a manager and a partner. In 13 years, I graduated at 22. I said, by 35, this is where I'm going to be because this is where work is going to take me, and I'm going to get to the top. And then God, now catch this. Go with this. Don't think I'm reading into this. See it through the eyes of a young man who lost his father. God in his grace took my father. He said, what am I doing? I had made work an idol. I was going to be the best. And so we did, we did we, 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 this is the American way. We're going to get to the top. And when, when we get to top, we're going to stay there for a while. We have perverted what it means to work. We've misunderstood eight to five. We want... We don't want to uh, just make the most of it and do our best, but we, we become like Madonna and Rocky, and we see we're nothing without it. And work is good, but there's also the need for rest. Rest also was created by God. Rest was modeled by God. And since we're created in His image, we should not only model it, we must model it. And so we see in the Bible there's all sorts of jobs. Noah was a sailor and a farmer. Abraham traveled. Lot was a city boy. Isaac was a hunter. Jacob was a rancher. Rachel worked at the well. Just this week, we're reading through Genesis, and there was a note on what it meant to gather water for camels and how much water camels drink and how many camels he had and the fact that she would have been doing this for hours, and it's why when the servant went, he watched to see if what God had said was true. And here's a woman working hard. Moses was a shepherd. Uh, Bazalel and Aholiab were into construction for all you construction workers. Joshua was into real estate. Deborah was a judge. Boaz was an owner and a manager. Ruth was just a worker. David was a soldier and a king. Solomon was a songwriter. And the excellent wife bought and sold and sewed and cooked often. My wife will leave the house saying, I'm going to a farm to gather food from a farm. And I said, go. You are my P31, baby. 
That's just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there were fishermen, there were, there were accountants, there were people, the seller of retail goods, the purple goods. There were pastors, church planters, those who worked bivocationally. There were those who manufactured tents. All of this from the hand of God. That every skill, look around, every skill in here comes from the hand of God. And every skill should be used for God's purposes. There are some of us who are more physical and there are some of us who are more mental. God shows no partiality in any of that. But we have forgotten to rest. We've forgotten to rest. That God created rest. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. And that we're made in the image of God and we should rest and trust. But many people don't take the time to rest. There's a psalm about it. It is in vain that you rise early and go to bed late. It's vanity. It doesn't, it will not get you anywhere because God gives his beloved sleep. I just read this morning, rest is a choice that acknowledges that God's in control and I'm not. And I'm not. And so what we've done is we've made an idol out of work and we've made an idol out of play. And because we're not uh, working and, and seeing our job as just a piece of the puzzle, but the piece Uh, Sometimes we find ourselves in jobs we don't want to be in. And so we play there. We do the bare minimum and we don't give it our best. And then what we do is to make up for that uh, dissatisfaction, we go into our play, time when we should rest, and then we put hard work into that. And so our play becomes our work. And it just perverts all of what God has called us to do. And that's just Exodus 8 or 28 through 11. There's five more texts in the Old Testament very specific about the Sabbath. The next one is Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, which was read earlier. And I'm just going to show you the highlights. It is the almost the same wording, but there's one change. Where God said in Exodus, you shall rest and keep it holy, for I am the God who created. Here he's showing, I am the God who brought you out from there, that is Egypt, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So instead of focusing on the uh, area of Sabbath in creation, here he focuses on saving his people through redemption, that he delivered them up and he brought them into a special relationship. Here it was the wisdom of God, how he orders our days. Here it is the power of God and how he saves his people. Both were to be remembered, reflected upon, but led to action. Thirdly, you see in Exodus 31, 12 through 17, you see him again make reference to the Sabbath. You are to speak to the people of Israel, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Why? Notice that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Not only does God create us, not only does God redeem us, it is God who sanctifies us. That word means to make us holy. It is God who is shaping us to be more like Jesus. Yes, we are in full obedience, but let me introduce you to a phrase, dependent responsibility. You and I can do nothing apart from Jesus. He created us, he redeemed us, and it is through him that we are becoming more uh, like Christ, that we are becoming more holy. And here God says, you keep my Sabbaths so you'll remember I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who redeemed you. I'm the one who is sanctifying you. And in that paragraph, twice it says, those who don't be keep the Sabbath shall be put to death. There was a seriousness to this holiness. And then finally in Isaiah 58, there's this idea of, or actually, we'll go to Leviticus 25, sorry. Leviticus 25, second to last. God said, the Sabbath of the land shall provide for you. He said, seven, he moved it from just days of the week to the years. For seven years, you shall farm this land. But six years, and in the seventh year, you shall rest because God cares for his creation. It's not about you. God cares about all of it. He he cares about you more than he cares about the bird, but he's going to take care of the birds. It's not about you. And God said, look, those six years, they'll provide for that seven. You're going to have to trust me. Farmers still get this, and we miss it. We walk into the grocery store, and we don't understand. We go get our organic this or our not organic that, And we don't understand the hard work and trust that comes through all that just shows up at our doorstep. Now, finally, you see the God who 
not only creates us, redeems us, sanctifies us, provides for us, but here he wants us to be joyful. It says in Isaiah 58, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Did you catch? It's God's holy day, and he's going to bring us pleasure, but it's not about our pleasure. And call the Sabbath a delight. This is what it should be. I hope after today, you see Sunday mornings as such a delight, you want to be here. I don't want to throw heavy burdens on you. I want to, like Jesus said, come to him, all you are weary, and he'll give you rest. His burden's light. He still wants you to carry something, but I want you to see Sunday as something utterly special, something utterly unique. It does not happen anywhere else around the world. Around the world, you go Monday through Friday and sometimes on Saturday to get your work done. Here, it's a special day, once a week. He said, if you'll call it a delight and that holy day honorable to the Lord, if you'll honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. See, that's what happens is Sunday's my day and I get to decide and then we all, everybody becomes a theologian. Well, Jesus fulfilled the commandments, so I don't really have to go to church on Sunday. Wow. Didn't know you were so into the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. Do you delight in the Lord? Do you come here at church on Sunday delighting in the Lord? I hope so. I hope so. And somewhat I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. It's, what about the people who aren't here? But do you, when you come, do you delight? Oh, this is good. I am so glad to be here. I love what we covered in Sunday school today. We talked about the necessity of church and that people don't come to know Jesus apart from the community of Jesus. And then you're, you're grafted in and you come into this community of Christ followers. And it is that community that should be utmost outside of our relationship with him. That, that community should be something we long to be with, even when people sin against us. Because we read in one sentence in Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, even when your brother sins against you, it's an opportunity for you to see that both of you are saved by grace. Yet what happens is we have one or two people sin against us or we have a bad worship time like the drummer was off. I'm not saying you were off wherever you, you're not off. I'm just, it's an illustration or, or whatever. And that just the music didn't really sit with me. Um, the coffee was bad. There were no snacks. Um, nobody greeted me at the door. I, we, we go through all these, this litany of things of reasons why I'm not coming back to church. And God said, do you take delight in it? And we let those one, that one experience uh, jade us from all our church together. And so do you take delight in the Lord? Do you come, do you come expectant? Like he said in the video, do you, do you go to bed on Saturday night going, I get to be with God's people tomorrow and there's no place I'd rather be. Do you go to bed like that? If not, why not? Perhaps two things. You have had a pretty negative experience, a legalistic experience probably. What most of the people, non-churchgoers, they've had a, the pastor said, you've got to wear a certain thing, you've got to act a certain way, and hear a bunch of pharisaical rules, read your paperbacks during the week, put a hardback on set. Well, who, who came up with that? It's weird. And you have that experience, and so you say, oh, church is not for me. Or you just get, it's, you don't get the magnificence and the beauty of God. That he's the creator, he's the redeemer, he's the sanctifier, he's the provider, he's the joy giver. That's who he is. He's working for you. This isn't in on the overhead, but this is a great verse that just comes to mind about, do you know what God's doing for you? Isaiah 64, 4, for of old no one has heard or perceived by ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait on him. You meet him with, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness to those who remember your ways. God is at work. It is God who's the great worker. And he is at work in your heart. Do you get that? And he wants you to take a special day to say, trust me, I'm, I'm at work. I'm at work in your heart. So through those five passages, Exodus 20, uh, Deuteronomy 5, Exodus 31, Leviticus 25, and Isaiah 58, you see a magnificent picture 
of the character of God. And I have a summary for you right here. It is a special time to reflect on the wisdom of God in creation. There's wisdom to six days and one day, six days and one day, six days and one day. There's power. There's power in a God to those of us who are enslaved to our work, to our wine, to our women, whatever it was, he redeemed us. And he said, no, that's not what life is about. There's a seriousness. There's a seriousness. And in our flippant, um, comical society, boy, you start talking about that one too much on a Super Bowl Sunday? There's a seriousness. Hebrews says, it's in the Bible, where does it say it? Shows me I have a good memory. It says somewhere in there. Ah, yes. Pursue God and the sanctity without which no one will see Jesus. I, you know, it's the book of Hebrews, so I'm just going to use the book of Hebrews philosophy. Somewhere in the book of Hebrews, <laughs> there's that verse. Yeah, it's in there. I forget where it is. Eh, shows you how flawless, flawed I am. Ah. <sighs> There's a seriousness to your sanctification, folks. And we have, because you've had pastors who are hell's fire and damnation and they beat the pulpit week in and week out and they don't, they don't give you insights into Scripture, they just burden you with the Scripture, people walk away from church and say, I want nothing to do with that. Hope you don't get that here. There's a seriousness. Serious. And there's a faithfulness. God's going to provide. Here, here's my question to you. If you're working, 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 or you're, you're resting, 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 and, and you don't come to church consistently, here's a, it's just a question. Take all your reasons why you don't come to church, pair those up with the Scripture, and then make your decision. God is faithful. Well, well I can't come to church on Sunday because i got to work. No, you don't. No, you don't. Some of you do, but then there are other ways to find a Sabbath with the Lord. So rarely do people have to work on a Sunday. Some do. I'm not, the, the slopes are open. I get it. But some of us are in positions where we, we don't have to work on Sunday. God's faithful to provide. He will provide. But if I do that, I may, you're going to have to trust God. Trust Him. And then there's that joy that comes with it. Too often people come to church and they're burdened and nobody's really connecting with them. And for that, we'll, I'll take some blame for that. I want to create. Jim wants to create. Ben wants to create. We all, those of you who have been here for the seven years that I've been here, guys that I, we set up this today, we want to create an environment where this is a place where you can come with all that's on your heart and you can pour it all out and still be joyful. It's not one or the other. But what have we done with this? What have we done with this? In man's sinful rebellion, this is what we've done with this. You, let's just work backwards. You see, bless his heart, Edmund Clowney couldn't read hardback or paperback books on a Sunday. Who made that rule? The little boy sitting there and he starts suit because you have to wear a suit on Sunday. If you don't wear a suit, it's not the same. That's just not true. So I think our dress has something to do with it. Can't go outside and play. And you just work all the way back and it comes back to this Pharisees who said, you know what? If you, if you carry something on a Sunday, that's work. They said you, could carry, you couldn't carry a log by yourself, but we could do it together and that wouldn't be work. They said walking a certain distance on a Sunday, for them it was Saturday, walking a certain distance on a Saturday, that was work. But if we put ropes between our house, we were tethered together and that's not considered working. Here's one that blows me away in this. If you dip your radish too long in the salt, now you're pickling that thing, then that is work. It's written. It's in the Jewish law. The law, uh, alongside the law, the Mishnah. And so that's, that's what we, we have a tendency to take the good gifts God's given us and create these awkward approaches to it. And we do that in our own lives. 
we, we wrestle with, should I go to church on Sunday or should I not go to church? Go to church. And I'll get there in a minute and I'll tell you why. But why church? Why church? We talked about this. Why the church? Why not go to the Brush Creek Saloon? I mean, why this place that we call church? Because the church is the place that Jesus is the foundation. It's the place that he died for. And he told Peter, there's not one entity, not one person, not one being. Nothing will prevail over it. It's the church. And it happened through Jesus. And Jesus would, when he was walking the earth, in Matthew 12, 1 through 7, he went specifically and he picked grain and he ate it to feed and he fed people. Not because he was breaking the fourth commandment, but he was breaking the extensions of the law. The pharisaical extensions. He said, I'm just going to go break those to cause a stink in a loving way to show you that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. In 9 through 14, he would heal a crippled man on the Sabbath. But that all revolves around Matthew 12, 8, where he said, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who is over it. He is the, he is the ruler of the Sabbath. And you would go on in Mark 2, 27 and 28, to say that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift. This is God's gift to you. The church is God's gift. Sundays are a gift. Jesus is the Lord and the Sabbath is a gift. Now, what did Paul have to say about this? Now, Paul's going to take it and show we're not getting legalistic with this. In Romans 14, he says, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. For he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who eats does so to the Lord. He, For he gives thanks to the Lord. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat. And gives thanks to the Lord. For not one of us lives to himself. Not one of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And so his whole point is that is whatever you're doing, just make sure it's for the Lord. But to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. That gives you that principle. That he's, what is your heart in all this? Why do you come to church? And in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, he shows us, and he uses the word Sabbath. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. doesn't matter what you eat with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. For these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so what Paul's working you through here in Romans and in Colossians is he's saying the, this thing called a Sabbath, it was a command and it was a shadow. Where do we find this, this rest? Matthew 11, 28 through 30. We'll just skip those first three verses, Ben, and go straight to 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Watch what he does. He doesn't say, and this is an absence of activity. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me from gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. There's the key. We work, work, work. I really believe people work, 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 work because they're trying to find rest for their souls. They're out physically expending themselves day after day after day because they're trying to find rest for their souls. Jesus says his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And then the author of Hebrews gets it. Hebrews 4, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And here's the New Testament interpretation of the Sabbath day. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so here's the key. The same God who gave the Sabbath in the Old Testament is the same God who gives us the New Testament interpretation of it, that he's saying this command has been fulfilled in Jesus, but it's a good idea. Why? Because I'm the same God. Check this out. You mean to tell me that 
the God of creation is mentioned in the New Testament? Absolutely. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. You were created physically and you've been recreated spiritually. God is sovereign over your new birth. So there's the God, the creator. And he's also a redeemer, Ephesians 1.7. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so the God who created and had, it, had a plan for Israel is the same God who created and has a plan for you. And he redeemed Israel, he redeemed you. Israel was looking forward to that redemption. We look back to the cross. What about sanctification? Does, does the New Testament speak of my sanctification? It sure does. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So he created you. He recreated you in Jesus. He redeemed you through Jesus' blood. He will sanctify you. Does that mean you don't need to read your Bible? You don't need to pray? No, don't read into that. Does that mean that your very desire to read the word and pray is because there is a God who is already at work in you? Philippians 2, 12 and 13, absolutely. For God is at work in you to will and to work his good pleasure. And not only that, he is a creator, he's a redeemer, he's a sanctifier, he'll provide for you. He'll provide what you need. Do you trust him? First Timothy says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, because riches are uncertain. My sweet mama, we've got the same finance guy. The market goes down a little. Gives me a phone call. Says, Can't, don't, I love you, mama. Don't, don't, don't look at one day. Got to look at the big picture. Those riches are uncertain. They could go away tomorrow. God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything. So you think, you don't think God's going to provide for you? He is faithful. He will provide exactly what you need. That's why here Timothy encourages the rich in this present age, don't get caught up on your riches. He is a creator, redeemer, sanctifier, provider, and he is the God of our joy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy in peace and in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may be a, abound in hope. Anytime I'm joyful in the Lord, it's because God has filled me with joy. It's not because of the world's joy. I love Ecclesiastes 5 and 6. Twice it's repeated at the end of 5 and at the beginning of 6. That you, the person in this life who has everything but the power to enjoy it. There are well, you can go up and down this valley. We live in one of the most unique places on earth where there's gazillions of dollars going around and there are people who have the, all the things of the world, but they have no power to truly enjoy it. None. And so they get fidgety and life isn't going well. They have no power to enjoy it. The New Testament says God can fill you with all joy. So we have the same God. Amen? But there are differences. There are differences. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people celebrated the Sabbath on a Saturday. We, and I'll show you this in a minute, celebrated on the Lord's Day, Sunday. They looked back to creation and the Exodus redemption. We look back to the cross. The, theirs was a law from God to be followed. Jesus has fulfilled that law yet. It was a guideline for living well for them. It's still a guideline for living well for us. They anticipated a rest that would come from Jesus, the Messiah. We announced that rest. Theirs was at the end of the week, wondering what is to come. Ours is at the beginning of the week, saying we rest on what he has done. I can go into my week resting on what Jesus has done. And theirs should have been pursued by faith, not works. That's what he talks about in Romans 10. They had zeal for God, but not by faith. They tried to work at it. Ours must be pursued by faith through grace. So now we come to answering those questions. Do we have to keep the Sabbath? And on what day do we keep the Sabbath? I think we should keep the Sabbath. It is a good thing. Do you have to? It's been fulfilled in Jesus, and you should keep the Sabbath. 
fair enough? This is a sermon, not a Sunday school class, so I'll answer that after. Here's what I, it should be kept on a Sunday. In Luke 23, 54 through 24, 1, you see this. They returned and prepared spices. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. There's commandment four. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. So they have made a difference. Luke showed you there's the Sabbath and there's this first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 6, 2, it says on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up so that he who may have, there may be no collecting when I come. They were to readjust their life on the first day of the week. And John calls this in Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And so we moved from sun, Saturday to Sunday. There are those who are friends. Some of us have friends who say, no, we've got to keep it on a Saturday. No, you've misinterpreted the Bible. It went from the Sabbath to the first day of the week. And God loved them, those that follow that. They're a little bit legalistic. It doesn't show on the outside, but you start saying, so I have to come on a Saturday. Yes, and here are the other things you have to keep. No, it's been fulfilled in Jesus. Then there are those who call Sunday the Christian Sabbath. I think here, in light of Romans 14 and Colossians, there's some freedom. You will never see uh, me personally trying to do church on a different day of the week. Within the bounds of freedom, I think it should be Sunday. Why? Because from Luke on, on the first day of the week, 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 it's the Lord's day, it's the Lord's day. So in the New Testament, you see this change and this pattern. It's a pattern. Throughout all of church history, you see a pattern. It's a Sunday. Does that mean people who have Saturday services are in the wrong? No. Remember, one Romans 14 principle. But I, I want to honor the biblical pattern by grace through faith with a pure heart, resting from my ordinary work and rejoicing in the Creator's Lordship and the Redeemer's victory. Now, you may be asking a question, well, wait a second, you're preaching. When, when's your Sabbath? Exactly. When is my Sabbath? Theoretically, it doesn't necessarily happen on a Sunday. For me, it's towards the end of the week, Friday. So how, how should you keep this? J.A. Packer says, we live, in a we live in a world of frenzied rush and try to pack a quart of activity into a pint pot of time. He probably says it better with his British accent. Folks, you've heard me say it before and it still rings true. We have equated activity with identity. And quite frankly, many of you are afraid to be alone with God. And so we go from one activity to the next, to the next, and we don't slow down. I'm not saying that it's... You're, you're, you and I are products of where we live, but we are afraid to be alone with God. We are entangled in the affairs of everyday life. Some do it better than others, but most of you, if I were to sit down and look at your calendar and say, where do you have built-in, extended time with God? And if you don't, why not? I would guess, well, I got to work. I got to do this and we could just work right down into it as you've put more of your efforts into the things of this world than the things of the other world. And so, how sure you keep it? Make it a priority. Does that mean you can't go see a college football game on a Saturday or watch the Super Bowl on a Sunday? No. But is church a priority for you? If not, why not? I'm not saying... I'm not looking for you to give me an answer. If church isn't a priority for you, here's the question. Why not? Why not? 
And, and again, I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe this is questions we ask for those who might not be here with us today. If it's not a priority, why not? Because it gets down to, again, like I said to last week, you either don't have a, a big view of God and the magnificence of who he is and the people of God, them gathered together in corporate worship. You don't have that view. And, and if you're new and you got that from somebody long ago, I apologize for them not giving that to you. But if you've been here for seven years and you still don't have that view, I'm sorry, and I'll work on that because I want to give you a big picture of God. So don't go, oh, man, i got to go to church. It's I want to go to church. I can't wait to go to church. I have little pumpkins coming into me every Sunday. Are you ready to go yet? Are you ready to go yet? And my prayer is that lasts. That lasts. That it's not just a season. That at 9 and 19 and 29 and 39 and 49, it's uh, that's where I want to be. I want to be with God's people. Is it a priority? And do you, do you plan for it? Do you plan for it the night before? Or are we waking up late and we're running and and just trying to get out the door. And if I make it to Sunday school, that's great. But if not, I'm just, I'm just trying to get there. Why? We plan for other things. This is what blows me away is we plan for other things. We plan to succeed in business. We plan to succeed in our hobbies. But do we plan to prioritize time with God? And then participate. Again, products of our culture. I'm not denying that. But do you come and receive or do you come to give? There are seasons when you come to receive and there are seasons where you come to give. But quite frankly, many, many people come to receive and they're looking for that silver bullet. Maybe he'll say something this week that'll change my life versus I'm going to come for the next year and I'm going to watch what he walks through in the sermons to see how God works. I'm going to come for the next year and I'm going to get involved in that Sunday school. So one week I'm with my gender and the next week it's code. I'm just going to watch. That silver bullet mentality or that long-term mentality. And then have take pleasure. Take pleasure. The last thing I would want is this to be a place of like what was in the video of just slowly getting here, getting a little antsy because it's 11.46. He's 15 minutes over what he normally does. Super Bowls. Doesn't start till four anyway. But do you have a joy? Do you walk out of here full of joy? I can't wait to conquer this week in Jesus' name and God help me. This week I learned how to order my days. In the movie uh, War Room, we just saw it last night, one of the first things this older lady who was discipling this younger lady said, do you come to church occasionally? Why do you go to church occasionally? Is it because the pastor's occasionally preaching? <laughs> he was getting at her heart. What are your, what's your motive? And I know, I'm going to show you one illustration and make one comment and I'm done. I'm going to do this, but this is a picture, believe it or not, of your life on one sheet of paper. Here is 1 through 52. That's the weeks in a year. And down is year 1 through year 90. If you were to color this in, I wonder. I just wonder. Sometimes I wonder. If you were to color this in, each square representing a time when you were with God's people on a Sunday, if you were to color it in, what would it look like? And if you were to look at that and see... There's a spot on here where I, it's not colored in. I wonder, and I'm not making this an equation, but I just wonder, what is life for li you like during those times, those seasons where it's not colored in? And I know that some of you are in predicaments, that you're in jobs and you're in things that you can't get out of. I get it. I get it. I've been at a place where I've longed for more time with the Lord. And so somebody gave me a great idea once, and I'll pass it on to you. We want to make extended time with God a priority, but until then, you can find pockets of time. You can see 
you can see, heaven forbid, in Eagle, Colorado or gypsum traffic uh, as a time where you're stuck on Highway 6, you're stuck on I-70, and you're like, you know what? Lord, you wanted me here, and there's, just turn off the radio. I'm going to find this time to sit with you and talk to you. There's not many here, but I, I use this illustration in, in other places where there are elevators. Sometimes they take forever getting to the top. But find pockets in your week to make time with God a priority. He gave the commandment to Israel. It was a gift to them and a command to them. The commandment's been fulfilled, but I think the gift still remains for us. What better time to humble our hearts and see that there is no other God's... What better time to train our thoughts and see that we shouldn't make any idols of God? What better time to monitor our mouth and see that we shouldn't use the Lord's name in vain and see a God who created us, a God who's redeemed us, a God who is working in us and sanctifying us, a God who is sustaining us, and a God who desires for us to be full of delight. Did you know God wants you to be happier than you want to? God desires your joy more than you do because he created you and he knows what's going to make you most joyful. And so if we will allow him and just give him pockets of time and maybe hopefully every all of us one day extend the time and say, God, I'm going to trust you because I want to be the happiest person on earth because I found my joy in you. He will do it. And so maybe this misunderstood commandment is so important because it wraps up all that God has for us in himself. It's a holy day of R&R. It's a day for his his name to be honored, our hearts to be softened and strengthened. It's a day for us to say, God, you created time. It's yours. Father, it's time to end this sermon, but it's a good time to recognize that you are sovereign over our time. You've created us. You know our days. We will, because the Bible says so, make the most of our days. Ephesians tells us to, that we need to maximize our time for good. But at the same time, we are taught that you've numbered our days. And so we're not going to worry about whether or not we're in the third or fourth quarter. But I pray, and it's a prayer for myself personally and everybody here, that we would make you a priority by starting to set aside a day of the week. And if we can't get that, Lord, right now, might we find pockets of rest so that you would be honored as our wise creator, so that you would be honored as our powerful redeemer, so that you would be honored as our serious sanctifier, one who's making us holy, so that we would receive the benefits of your faithful provision and that we would be the most joyful people on earth because we've trusted in you with our time. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.